0: Good morning. It's always a great day to be gathered together. And you never know what God is going to do when we gather together in his presence. So I just add my welcome to that you've already received. And uh, one of the great things that we do uh, is we pray together. And we're going to take the words that Jesus the apostles, the global church regularly use to pray. I invite you to take it upon your lips, the words will be up on the screen, as well as upon our hearts as we come before the Lord with this, his, the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever, amen. O Lord, our great God and heavenly Father, we don't deserve to call you Father. It is a miracle of your grace that we could be your children. Only Jesus is your perfect and pure Son, But joined by him and because we've received him you have said that your love has caused us to be called the very children of God and we can come with confidence and boldness we can come like the child of a king or an emperor or a president and we can break into that oval office and climb up into your lap because you have provided such intimacy for us and you though you do not need us you long for us (laughs) And though we desperately need you, we often don't understand how desperate we are for you. And so we come, Lord, we come confessing where we have been fickle, frail, and foolish in your love. Uh, Lord, it is our chief complaint that our love for you is weak and faint. Um, But we can come to you because your love is mighty and strong. Your love does not shift. You didn't start loving us because we did something to earn your affection (laughs) or because we stopped something that was thwarting you. You loved us before even we were created. Lord, out of love, you made us, not out of need because you have all within yourself, but you created us out of love. And we pray that might rest upon us, that we might receive it, that it might not be mere words this morning. We come, Lord, wanting to love you better and love others better. We are so aware that we easily love ourselves or put our own needs first. We feebly love others, and we often fail to love you at all. We fail to speak for you, act for you, take the initiative that would drive us out of what just comes naturally. And we would pray that you would act upon our hearts, that what we would do would be supernatural, that we would walk in your spirit, that we would have the joy, Lord, of... um, obeying you, taking you at your word, and seeing what a path of glory you open up before us when we take you at your word. So Lord, we don't want to play church, and we want to be the church. And we pray for the church around the globe this morning, whether it's in places of war like Ukraine, whether it's in places where the church once uh, had a powerful testimony and that testimony is retreated much of the Western world, or whether in the fertile places of Africa and South America and South Asia, Uh, we are one global family. And we so thank you for that identity. And we pray that we might live into the fullness of our destiny in Jesus Christ. We pray that the unity, global, worldwide communion might be a demonstration, Lord, as your word says, to the to the world powers, it would demonstrate that there is a reality that is unseen, but more powerful than the seen boundaries, and dwellings, and identities that compete for our affection. So we pray for the church worldwide. Lord, may it have our highest affection that we are part of this body, the body of Christ. Lord, it will endure beyond uh, the boundaries that exist in our world today. And we are so blessed to be part of it, so humbled to be included through Christ. But, oh Lord, also we do pray for the country and the city that we are in. We know, Lord, that um, sin is a reproach to any people, and righteousness exalts a nation. And we pray, Lord, for the work of your church in this nation to bring the claims and the reality and the presence of Christ into every realm. We pray, O oh Lord, that we might live in a Christ-like way, not only manifesting the truth of Jesus, but the way of Jesus. And we pray in the midst of uh, an election season in our country that we would not experience a kind of election infection in our um, relationships, or even in our anxieties or fears. Because Lord, um, you have introduced us into the ultimate reality and as the king of kings we have no room to put our trust in princes or to fall prey to the divisions and skirmishes the slanders the misrepresentations the anger inducing and fear inducing ads preserve our spirits from that and while we labor lord for every command of yours to be embraced from the heart we labor for it to be embraced from the heart We ask, oh God, that you also would be upon our lives in all of our work, our vocation, our doings, all the other hours that we live. Lord, um, may they be informed by the calling that you have upon our life. And may we live our lives, Lord, with the hope and the resilience in the reconciling power. May we be peacemakers that help people see your reality. May we have a meekness and beauty about our lives and a confidence and poise that is not in us. May people recognize that though we may be unlettered and unschooled, we have been with Jesus. Now, Lord, we pray for any in our hearing who do not know this hope or for whom this hope has grown faint and dim. We can all relate to that. And we pray, Lord, that you would meet us, that you would meet us now in your word that we might really know that you were on the other end of this line and you were ready to reach in and act. Lord, shake up even these prepared notes and remarks and insights. May they be yours. May you take control and may you speak to our hearts beyond the very words of the text, accurate to that text, but in ways that will make it clear that you are a living God, that you are still reaching out to us with these words, that we might know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Together, God's people said, amen. I draw your attention to uh, a prayer of Paul. What I love about Paul is he teaches and he prays. That's what we see in Ephesians. He spends a lot of time praying. (laughs) Uh, And you might say the most profound things that he introduces us to are his prayers. And I'm going to read you and then seek to open up this prayer, one of the greatest, most eloquent prayers in In all literature, chapter three, verses 14 through 21. And and as always, I tell you, uh, the only completely accurate thing that I will say from henceforth will be what I read to you in God's word. So give attention to this, uh, the word of God. All human commentary is flawed, but God's word is a flawless word. The psalm says it's like it's been refined seven times over. Uh, So here now as I read to you the word of God from Ephesians chapter three. Paul writes, for this reason, I kneel, And you can say that um, you can tell a lot about a person by what they pray for. You can tell a lot about where their, where their mind is. And Paul's in prison and he doesn't even shoot up an SOS. Like, hey, pray for me that I get out of this hole in the ground where the people are bringing him food. Um, you know, let me get out and do something useful. Yeah, you know how useful Paul was? He prayed, prayed and all kinds of, generated all kinds of spiritual life and he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Not bad work for a guy in prison. <laughs> But you can tell a lot about a person by what they are praying. You can tell a little bit about me by what I was praying. I'll just, I have to share this. So I was praying Wednesday, and I wasn't just praying for this, but at the end of my prayer, um, I just said, it, I, was, I prayed for my kids, and i like, I really was missing, particularly my awesome sons so oldest son, youngest son. And so I literally prayed. I'm like, you know what? It would be awesome if I could take Nate to the World Series. I don't know how that would happen, but I just pray. I don't usually pray those things. I'm usually I usually have the error that you know there's little things. Why bother God with little things when the reality is I've never prayed a big thing because God is so big, right? So that afternoon, I mean, I'm at Lincoln University, sitting in the awesome Frederick Faison's chaplain's office, and we had just an incredible heart connection. And I get a text on my phone from a dear friend who's like an awesome sports writer. You may have read his columns, and I leave Frederick Faison's office and I call him and he says, I got two tickets with your names on it to game four, the World Series. And I wanna tell you, here's, yeah, isn't that awesome? So, Definitely, if I was writing this prayer, I'd be saying, "Get me out of prison!" Um, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. You can tell that kind of stuff, right? It's so cool that. And I want to tell you, like, I almost like it was almost paralyzed. And I was like, "Oh my goodness, God is real. <laughs> <laughs> He's really listening to these things." So, game four, um, you'll see. And these are like more awesome seats than I've ever had. I almost want to like sell them off, you know, because they're like so <laughs> incredible. But yeah, right behind the third baseline, right behind the dugout, look for us, we'll be there. I'll be wearing red, so, Um, (laughs) incredible. But this prayer is unique that Paul prays in that there is not a selfish, self-oriented, anything in it. It is all about the spiritual strengthening of the church. There have been two things that are said about Paul. He had a one-track mind for either people to be converted who weren't converted, or for those who did know Jesus Christ to come to the fullness of maturity. Paul didn't, he didn't veer off into only one of those. He was equally passionate that with that the church of Christ be what it could be. And this prayer, by the way, he b- tried to begin it in chapter three, verse one, when he said, for this reason. You know how this prayer begins, for this reason? The first for this reason is in chapter one, and he had a 13 verse diversion, where as he was getting ready to pray for the church, Um, he started to talk about his commission and we saw last week that he said the church exists to display the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and powers. So basically he said, you know how, we looked last week, we think that the angels could teach us a lot but that isn't God's plan. God's plan is for us to teach the angels. (laughs) To teach the angels the force of the cross in the heart of fallen people. How we can be redeemed by it. How we're changed by it. And so he's he goes off into this whole discursus because he had just talked about in chapter two about how we as the church are called to be the living temple that, that he says is being built together and filled. So he says the church is the spiritual body. We are not budgets and bodies and buildings, but we are this spiritual work, life upon life, that the spirit of God comes and fills us and we manifest to the world. We're putting on a tutorial we're putting on a tutorial for the angels and the world that this is what the life of God looks like in this world. And the way we put on a tutorial is that we are getting rid of all of these human divisions, these different tribes people fall in, these polarizations, and we are caring about what, what ultimately matters is that we are a part of one family. And so when Paul says for this reason, he drops to his knees and uh, you don't always have to drop to your knees, but sometimes that posture is helpful. We have we have this kneeling bench we brought over from an LPC. You feel inclined to come in here and pray during the week? Are you feeling inclined during this service? Come over there, help yourself. But, but Paul drops to his knees and he says, "For this reason I pray to the Father from whom every family and on heaven and earth derives its name." What he's saying is that there is a family greater than every other allegiance. And, situa- and, and history and hum- human category that we have, and that is the family of God. And if you know Jesus Christ, you have God as your father, but you also get a bunch of siblings. <laughs> and those siblings share the life of the father. Just like if, if you've come to Jesus Christ, you are generated through the father's love and you have the DNA of Jesus in you. And, and you are growing into that DNA but you also have all these siblings. And he says, if that is true of you, then you are part of one family and that family is in heaven and on earth. I I love it that we have a balcony because it it just kind of reminds me, there's this prayer in a sense, when Paul's on his knees, he's kind of saying, death and time don't really matter because there is a church that is triumphant in heaven and there is a church that is fighting the battle on earth, and when I drop my knees before the Father, I'm praying to the Father and the, the generator of all of, these, all of this life. And, and so I think he, he is saying, and I know usually it's the middle schoolers who are up here in the, in the balcony, but, it's, but he is saying that there is, from the balcony seats, those that have gone on to be with Jesus, from those of us on earth, we are, we are one. So that division is made up. And one day, what a reunion it's going to be yeah. when we are gathered together. When we take the Lord's supper, that's a family meal. You know, ultimately the Passover meal, um, it was celebrated in the family. When we are celebrating that, there's a sense in which we are we are joined together with with all the family. I, I love the words of the Church's One Foundation. It says the Church on earth has union with God, the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest are one. Sometimes when I place a high architecture, it just helps me think about that, like the, every family on heaven and on earth. So we're united and we're, we're instructing the heavenly beings. We're giving a tutorial to the angels because they can't take the Lord's Supper. They don't get baptized. They don't have sin to repent of. They don't have difficult relationships that they've got to walk across the room for and hug somebody and say, that thing in our history is not going to drive us apart. We're going to walk together. They, they don't have that, so they're watching us. So let's put on a tutorial for them. Let's show the angels and let's show the world what, what, what the generating power of God is to make us one family. I love it the family's in our name. And, and, and Paul drops to his knees and he is, he is praying for that. And it means that if you share, I mean, first of all, we grow in love for everybody, whether they share our faith or not. But when someone shares our same relationship to God, they're our sibling, They're our brother or sister in Christ. And so um, Paul says when that spiritual reality is allowed to explode the way it's meant to, um, we're closer to somebody who's of a totally different country, maybe a totally different culture, who shares our faith than we are uh, with someone who lives in our own country who doesn't share our faith but shares all the things that formed us we are we are closer, and here's the challenge. are do we really experience this with someone who um, shares our faith in Jesus but doesn't share uh, our politics than we are with someone who shares our politics but doesn't share our faith? I mean, when you watch the World Series, you see all these ads and you're like, oh man, God, I'm thankful that you have not called me to generate any of any even an ounce of my energy to serve the political machinations of the world. I don't have any energy for that. I only have energy for this gospel power. And 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 so even at game four, you can sit me to the most obnoxious Houston fan and if they love Jesus, I will have more affection in my heart for them than I would a Phillies fan who doesn't know Jesus, but not until we win the championship and humble them. <laughs> but then I'll have more affection for them. Because there is there is a category that we didn't, You know, birth ourselves into, we didn't earn ourselves into, just like we didn't choose our family, our parents, but this is the perfect parent. If you didn't have a good father or you had a rough family background, this is the perfect one that you can find healing in, the family of God. This is the father from whom every family derives its name. And so Paul drops to his knees and this is what he's praying for. Have you bent your life to the family that really is the the family that counts? Have you bent your life and, and do you spend time praying that reality? Um, it is such an error to think, and I have fallen into this error to think like, well, we can, just, we can just teach people and correct them into the destiny that God has for them. No, no, no. We have to pray. We need to be prayed ourselves, and, and we have to pray these things into reality. So it's so foolish to devote ourselves to teaching, even biblical teaching, without also recognizing that there is a battle beyond that. Paul was not under any illusion. That's why chapter one, he gives us all this profound truth and he drops again to his knees and says, I'm praying for you constantly. This is why chapter three, when he's talking about how the church is to to put on a tutorial for angelic beings, um, he's saying, I'm praying for you to experience this. And what does he pray for? He prays for strength first. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. He's talking, he wants us to experience the power of love. There are plenty of people in our world who love power. The love of power is responsible for so much of the mess of the world. You think of the Ukraine. That's just symbolic of what the love of power does. But the power of love is the reversal and the healing of that. And he's praying, and he prays, he says, I pray, verse 16, that out of his glorious riches, if you actually look more literally, it's not out of his glorious riches, it's according to his glorious riches. In my, in my pastoral career, I've had experience of you know doing different fund drives, and some of them have been really high experiences because of conversations I've had um, but I'm not eager to do any more fund drives for building. Let's fill this one six times on Sunday and then we'll then we'll talk about that, right? But I've I've someone who's had conversations and and been with people who have a means to be very generous. And many many times, and they've been successful campaigns for a building, someone will make a contribution out of their glorious riches. But that's not what this is saying literally. You know, if, if somebody made a contribution out of their glorious riches, you share the vision, the heart behind it. Um, it's never been for me to take any of that. It's been for me to actually win someone to it. And, and so someone will make a contribution. So somebody who, who maybe I know, you know, they got the beach home and the home in the Poconos and the two-week vacation in Australia in January and the, you know, four weeks in the summertime in Paris. I mean, I know there's, there's means, right? And so you share the vision and say, yeah, yeah, I, I really care about the vision. And they write a check for $500, and that's awesome. That's out of their riches. That's not what this is saying, though. The text, the word that Paul uses is that the Father, he wants the Father to strengthen us according to his riches. You know, if, if, if I got to have the conversation with Bill Gates, and he made a contribution out of his riches, he might write a check for $120,000, because somebody told me that according to his income and assets, um, that is the same amount as what I would worry about but not chase down if I left it in my pocket and turn it into the dry cleaners. I mean, we all have an amount, right? If you, if you left a certain amount of money in your dry cleaning clothes and you dropped it off, there's a certain amount you wouldn't even think about the rest of the day. There's another amount, let's say it's $20 or $100. Let's say you had a $100 bill for some reason and, and it was in your dry cleaning. You know, like That would probably mess with you. Would that mess with you? It'd mess with me. $100. It says that the equivalent of my $100 that would mess with me uh, would be $120,000 in Bill Gates' you know, um, rain jacket that he took to the, and he wasn't even thinking about. It. <laughs> so, what would it be if Bill Gates strengthened something according to the riches of what he has? We're talking hundreds of millions, probably. <laughs> if, they really, if their heart is really in it. And Paul has the daring audacity to say, I'm praying that God will strengthen you, not according to your personality and temperament Whatever He's saying, I'm praying that God will strengthen you according to his riches and glory. Paul's not playing church. He here is asking the Holy Spirit as the agent of strengthening. If you wanna put up verse 17, um, he's showing that that ultimately he's saying, I'm praying that he will strengthen you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's basically, this prayer verse 16, is to get us ready for an expansive hospitality effort for Jesus in our heart as as the very theater that Christ would come in, and and live with us. So he's he's saying I'm praying for this kind of strength. Do you sp- do you pray for inner strength? You know, God can act directly on the human heart. As parents, we can only act indirectly. We can seek to love, we can seek to disarm as we, we can influence people indirectly. God can send a signal and hit my heart directly. And this is what, and, and Paul's on his knees praying, God, I want you to send it, and I want you to strengthen this congregation according according to you. I don't want you to just to do something out of your power. I want you to do it according to your power. You see the difference? And And so... Again, we play at church if we make it a mere teaching center for a little informational jolt of short-term encouragement. That's not that's not what Paul's into doing. We we play at church if we make church a vendor of goods and services, you know, teach my children some good morality and some Bible stories, help me have a few good friendships. We play at church if that's what it's about. We, we play at church if we elevate the pastor and the stage and the musicians uh, to, you know, again, do something that we're not really willing to seek God to do on our own. We, we play at church if we measure it by the vanity metrics, by bodies and seats and bills to fund and buildings to maintain, rather than the supernatural dwelling place of God. We play at church when we think that the politicians are more powerful than what's going on in the unseen realms of the church in a prayer and can somehow lift us out of our current mess. I can guarantee you, they cannot. We, we, Paul here is not playing at church or somebody years ago said we we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play in our worship. Paul here is he's 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 working at his prayer. And and he's and and he's he's desperate for God to move. And he he's praying for strength. He he wants the weight of who God is to actually be something that we feel. Not burden us down, but to give us a sense of the reality of God. That's what he's praying. And he's he's bringing us to the point of saying, and I want Christ to dwell in your heart by faith. Now we're ready for 17. Because he's he's praying for this strengthening, and he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, note first of all, Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. Not because I've cleaned myself up, gotten myself all ready, whatever. It's through faith. This is, first of all, conversion. Christ comes, this is a glorious picture of conversion, that Christ comes not just near, but he intersects and comes into our human personality without obliterating who we are, and all of a sudden introduces himself to be the guest of our house. I'm thinking this morning, I've sometimes had a front row seat to see this happen in people's lives. I've seen it happen. I've seen the moment that Christ touches down. I remember just more than 30 years ago, people who are dear friends of ours, we were we were sitting in their living room and what had happened is, they started to attend our church in Maryland because they had a two-year-old son who was born with a congenital heart defect and needed to have surgery in Boston. And that was part of the prompting that brought them into our church. We had the nearest church to them. And um, God answered prayers for that little son, became one of our son's very, very best friends. They're in each other's wedding. But something more glorious happened. Down the road from that a piece, um, we took that couple through a new members class. Not sure what all the details were. We were attending to their son, whatever, but we just brought it into, into the into their home, private tutorial, and there was kind of the completion of that class, and and I remember it was the renewal of the faith of the wife, but it was the first time event really for the husband. And when you get to the point of saying, you know, is Jesus Christ really your Lord and Savior? Would you know for certain through him that if you were to die, you would go to heaven through Jesus and whatever? And and those kind of questions. And the husband, in a sense, was tempted to, you know, fake it till you make it, say, hey, yeah, fine, I'll sign on, whatever. But as he, he described that moment, he says, it was so powerful, it was like Jesus Christ physically powerfully came into that room and he said, like, couldn't you see him? Couldn't you feel him? Couldn't you like he's, he's right right there at the moment. And that was the inception of a glory as, as that couple grew, I mean, she became a director of a vacation Bible school program where we had to rent two additional church buildings and build a big addition to the church we were in because largely because of that VBS program, I blame her. And he continued to grow in grace and grace and grace and became an elder and continue to give his life in service to Christ. And they're sitting in this room right here today. So, yeah, I, I abuse my friends when they come visit me. Um, I abuse them, but they right here. Go ahead, stand up, stand up, because this is the work of God. Christ would dwell in our hearts in faith. So awesome. So awesome to see a front row seat. And but I wanna say, this is not a, Paul isn't just talking about how the faith starts, though. When you take somebody into your heart, when you take someone to dwell with you, they begin to change everything. I mean, we're all really excited for Christian Hesling because his life and, and Jessica's life is gonna be impacted by beautiful two little twin girls. right? But all of a sudden, we know it and they know it too. They're wise to this. All of a sudden, where they go, what they do, how they schedule things is gonna be impacted because of why? Because they've got a living attachment that is part of their heart, that is part of their dwelling place, and they won't anymore go anywhere without saying, well, is it, is it twin friendly? <laughs> You know, I mean, they won't be saying, well, say, hey, good to see you. And they'll say, yeah, we left the twins in the crib. They're just, you know, hanging out all alone. No, no, no. Now, I mean, it's a, it's a package deal, right? It's a package deal. This is what it means when someone takes up residence in you. And, and the twins, I mean, babies have a way of asserting themselves, kind of. I mean, they can cry. They can, uh, they can do things. But, um, but when you have that, when, when you're indwelt from the outside, it changes everything. They travel, you know, they travel with you in your mind. We, we don't have young kids at home, but we have somebody who exerts a little bit more, um, you might say of, a, of an active direct influence, like you are taking me with you, and you know, it's a brilliant little well-trained schnauzer named Yadkin. If you know, you know if you have a pet, if you have a dog, cats, not so much, but if you have a dog, they basically are saying to you, they change your life, and every time you go somewhere, you're like, well, is it dog-friendly? Is it dog-friendly? Philly's game four is not dog-friendly. Okay, I know it, but here's the thing. He will pout. He will um, steal our shoes and hide them. Um, he has all kinds of ways of saying, you mean you're not taking me into that situation? You must take me into that situation, and more than that, he would say, that situation needs to adjust for me, Right? That's a little miniature schnauzer. Brilliant though he may be. Jesus. See where I'm going? Jesus comes, dwells with us. He is always saying to us, he's saying, is this situation you're going into, is it Jesus friendly? Is it a place that he would go? Is it a place, as you take him into it, is it a place that he is going to? To dwell and rule. The word for dwell here is not just a passive, like a check into a hotel stay. This is kind of a take up residence and be president. That's the word for dwell. It's it's take up take up residence and be president. And so it's saying of Jesus, when he dwells, you are you are when you are indwelt by jesus everything you do then he is wanting to shape and change those conversations even the attitudes of our heart he's you know in the famous book my heart christ home he's sometimes knocking down the walls he's doing rehab work and we're like hey wait a minute i like that wall i like that carpet i like that no no this has got to be removed so he's so you have a conversation it may be that you've grown cynical about someone based on an experience you had with them about some kind of shared history. And Jesus comes into that and he says, that shared history is no longer Lord. I'm Lord over that shared history. And so I want you to walk across the room. I want you to embrace that person and say, I know we've been on different sides of this, but... I am not gonna let that be a barrier to the fact that you are a person I love and care for or to say, you are my sibling in Jesus Christ and we are doing a tutorial for the angels and if we allow this little thing, this shared history, this interpretation of events, this thing where we are on, you were on this side and I was on that side, if we allow this to separate us, we are telling the angels that we are belittling the work of the cross. Forbid it! Do you see that? And, and this is exactly the context that he call, Paul is praying for because what he just taught in Ephesians 2 that dropped him to his knees here was that the two groups that absolutely despised each other that did not eat at the same table ever, the Jews and the Gentiles, are joined together as one humanity. And Paul's saying, man, if, if this group is going to transcend all of those human barriers, I better pray. I better pray for the reality of Jesus to be a greater reality than the things that separate them. Amen. And this is what he does. He dwells in us. He changes our relationships. He changes our relationship to ourselves. Jesus is like the skilled surgeon that doesn't come and perform surgery from us from the outside in. That's what a surgeon does, right? And that's why you know we can be nervous in front of a surgeon. You know, and they might say, "Oh, this is only minor surgery." And you, you've all heard it. it's like, "No, no, no, no." Minor surgery is surgery on you, doctor. Major surgery is any surgery on me, right? <laughs> but the surgeon, Jesus, the great physician, he comes and he takes up residence inside us. And we are riddled through with all kinds of tumors and he is such a great physician. You know, there are tumors and I read about one this week. I almost wanted to sh- throw the picture up on the board but it was, it was such a big tumor, they said, we don't know whether you can remove this tumor without killing the patient. And I was like, yeah, that's a good description of me and my sin. <laughs> It's a good description of us. There are so many tumors in us. And yet Jesus is the physician who comes with his scalpel. And yeah, if if he removed them all at once, it probably would kill us. (laughs) He is a patient, gentle physician and he removes them. He removes them. I want this tumor out, I want this bitterness out. I want this cynicism. You've been hurt in the past. We gotta, we gotta deal with that hurt, but um, I'm, we're gonna remove this. This is no longer gonna be the jaded lens through which you view everybody in that category. You were hurt by men, you hate all men. You were hurt by women, you hate all women. You were hurt by whatever category, and that can be real. He doesn't diminish the hurt and the trauma and the difficulty we've had, but he says, I wanna heal that, and he does it from the inside. Isn't that amazing? It, it, it's right. It's like it's like special laser light surgery that goes in, and but it, he will do it. That, that's the horror of remaining where we are. One of the worst. If we remain where we are, we're like a person who is clinging to the tumor, clinging to the unhealth. And Jesus says, "No, that's that's," and and that's what Paul's saying. I'm praying for you. The first prayer was for the enlightening of our hearts. The second prayer is for the strengthening. Which, by the way, you get strong not because life is easy. You get strong because life is hard, and Jesus says, I'm not going to take away all your difficulties, but I'm going to give you strength to match your difficulties. Isn't that good news? He he gives us strength because this Christian life is not an easy thing to live out. And and so he's praying that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith, and I I love this, um, and that you being rooted and established in love this is so important to us, that we are rooted and established in love, in Christ's love for us. That's what he's praying about. That's what the main theme of the Bible is about. It's not so much our love to God except as a boomerang effect of really receiving his word. He says that you rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. So he's praying this for a congregation. He's saying, I want there to be a a satellite colony that is a preview of what heaven looks like when heaven touches down and is, is really the embodiment of who Jesus is and, and, and the only way you're gonna do that is that you have power to grasp. And here, this word for grasp is really to be seized by. It often has the, the sense even in the, uh, in the original it says that you might have power to grasp. We wanna throw that, that line up that's in verse 18 that you may grasp is almost really, that you may be seized by this reality, that you might know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. How wide is the, the, you know, the, the love of Christ. It's broad enough to encompass all humanity, especially Jews and Gentiles. That's the theme of this chapter, but like every kind of tribe, everybody. There is no condition, there is no besetting sin There is no habit, there is no ideology that a person can hold that puts them outside the breath of the love of Christ. Just realize that. Jesus Christ is absolutely for everybody. Nothing you do can disqualify you. There is not a person on the planet right now that has done anything to remove them from the embrace. That's that's how wide, that's the breadth of it. Every tribe and tongue and nation. Jesus said, in Isaiah that you hear the voice of Jesus may say though your sins be as scarlet come to me they'll be as white as snow he says in John 11 he, in 12 he says when I am lifted up from all the earth I will draw all people to myself that, that's the breadth of it how long is it How long is the love of God? Well, it began before the foundation of the world before all ages and forever and ever before the foundation of the world. We we read in Revelation that somehow the lamb was, was seen as slain before the foundation of the world. That's how long. He didn't start loving you when you started responding. You started responding because his love persevered and got through. That's how long it is. How high is it? To the most exalted place, he's able to lift us up to the highest heaven. His exalting, powerful love is actually able to do more for us even after we fell than he would have done if we had never fallen because it so exalts his power. That's how high it is. And, and how deep is it? it? All the way to the descent of the cross. Jesus died as a demonstration of a, of a criminal's life pinned like an insect on the cross as, a, as an object lesson of humiliation so that no one would join his movement to get absolutely underneath all of our own humiliations. And and he, and he says, I'm praying that you'll have the power because when you are you and I are walking in that, we are unsafe for all the petty human divisions in our world. Are you unsafe for all the petty human divisions in our world? Are you unsafe for resentment, cynicism, judgmentalism, writing anybody off? Paul's saying, I want a church that's unsafe for that kind of nonsense. Because what Christ is touching down is is absolutely stunning. And how do we get there? He says, I want you, verse 19, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? You experience it. To know something that it's beyond the intellect. Now, he's not saying it's in contradiction to the intellect or that you shouldn't love God with your mind, but he's saying there's something beyond our minds that just burst forth. And, and and when it does, it is, he says, and he goes on, how to know this love that surpasses knowledge, and then this next phrase, that you may be filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God. <laughs> that is the number one most crazy request in all the Bible. <laughs> we we prayed the second most when he said, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's pretty audacious faith, to be praying that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But here he's praying that a human being, you and me, and a congregation that is a temple, and more accurately, it is in the plural of a congregation, would be so spirit-filled by the Holy Spirit that we would, be, we would there would be no room for any of our own agendas, no room for any of our negative emotions. No room for our sinful diversions, but we would be filled up to all the fullness of God. And he's, he's talking in part about an experience. This is what's happened in congregations. I remember hearing in the, of, of revivals that have happened in Ireland and Wales that started in schools with children convicted of their sin. The parents went to pick them up. They said, why are you crying? They began to talk about Jesus. The parent was struck uh, with a sense of Jesus and the meeting ended two days later. And nobody even can tell us how they were fed and cared for and what happened. It was glory came down. The, these kind of things have happened in different cultures and places and times. They often have, have sparked the very work of God, they happen in the lives of individuals. Um, Dwight Moody, a famous 19th century preacher, was in New York City. It can, it, it can happen on a busy street. And he recounts this testimony. He says, uh, one day I was walking in the streets of New York City, and, and I can't really describe it. It seems almost too much of a sacred experience to name, but I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love right on the streets of New York City that I had to ask God, stay your hand. <laughs> um, it'll dissolve me. <laughs> If I experience, I can't, I, can't, I can't take any more of this in. It, it's beyond rationality, <laughs> um, and, and and it changes us. And I'm not just talking about experientialism for experientialism's sake. I, I heard a pastor tell uh, about a, a meeting that boasted, we're gonna have revival, we're gonna schedule revival, it's gonna happen on Friday night, this kind of meeting. That's not what this is talking about. <laughs> and, and he said they had this revival of an experience of God, and... Uh, There was a man uh, who went every year and he took his wife to it. She was a little bit skeptical and he stood up in the meeting and said, I have had an incredible experience of the glory of God. And after the service and his testimony was done, people said, isn't that marvelous? And she said, well, actually... he has that experience every single year, but I haven't seen it change him a bit in terms of his irritability or the way he uh, conducts his life or any of that. And, and the pastor said, well, that wasn't an experience of the p- spirit of God, that was emotionalism. There is a counterfeit of emotionalism, but there is the reality of an, a, a, an experience of God that changes the way we interact with everybody else. That's how you can tell whether it's a bunch of baloney or it's just a bunch of psychological conjuring up, or whether the Spirit of God has really touched down. And that's why he says, rooted and grounded in love, then Christ comes to dwell in a strengthened life where you're you're strengthened in graces, and, and then you are filled up to all measure of the fullness of God. There's no bolder request. I would say there's no greater need, but I would just say this, there's no greater willingness than the willingness of our God to, to meet us in this way and to, to move in our spirits and to strengthen us. And that's why this prayer ends, actually, with this doxology. Verse 20. We're gonna close here and park it. But, but Paul here is basically, he's aware we're gonna say, filled up to the fullness of God. Really? You're praying that? For our church, for my life, and he says, yes, Paul says, yes, he says, now, he's. I'm praying it because unto him who is able, first of all, God is able. <laughs> Secondly, he is able to do immeasurably. In, in the Greek original, it is exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or imagine. He doesn't just say abundantly more. He doesn't just say exceeding more. He, he joins two words that are almost never joined. He says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask, and we can ask a lot. He says, more than we can imagine. Our imaginations may need some help, but he says, stir your imaginations. He can do more. And then he gives this word, according. Not a little contribution of his power, but ac- how big, how powerful is God? He says, according to his power. And where is his power choosing to work? Yeah, it's in the hurricanes. Yeah, it's in the glories of the changing leaves in nature but the, the greatest demonstration of the power of God is the effect that that the cross has to reconcile our hearts to him, remove the obstacles and create an open channel between his spirit and our spirit. This is, is really, if you ask Paul, what is a Christian? He would not say someone who holds to a certain moral set of behaviors and a certain set of doctrinal beliefs, but he would say somebody who Jesus Christ has taken up residence in, who is yielding to his power in their life so that they are living out the supernatural life of Jesus Christ. Is, that's the power of God in us. and and he says that all of this is so verse 21 so that we would be comfortable no so that we'd be famous no but it says so that to him be glory in the church that we would pay attention to god in the church first of all you'd say well isn't that what churches do pay attention to god i'm not so sure (laughs) We pay attention to a lot of things. We're, we're prone to be diverted and distracted by all kinds of things. Paul says, I'm praying that God did something so amazing that you'll say, only God did this. He, he often has to strip us of our distractions and diversions and all these things, but he says that he would receive glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. I think here he's speaking cosmically and in all places, but saying that it's directly attached to who Jesus is. And he says, through all generations, all the generations that will ever live, Till the end of history, this would be known. You pray that? God, do something. Do something in in our church. Do something in your church. Do something in CLC that for however long you tarry, until you wrap up this world's history, it will be known and talked about for all generations. And he said, why? For his glory, not us. We're not serving ourselves. For his glory through all generations. And then he says, forever. And just to make sure we understand that forever is real. He says, forever and ever. (laughs) Forever and forever because to the ageless, endless um, eternity and the vastness of God's unending love. And he says, and then he says the amen, which means so be it. God, make it so, make it so. Have you received that, that destiny for your life? I think so often what's understood at church is that we want people to enter the vestibule, but you know, the first room, which is the room of forgiveness and to receive the reconciling power of Christ and good. You're born again into a new life. You're a Christian. You're, you're forgiven. Your, your old ways are canceled out. You have a new narrative, and we stop there. Now, if you haven't done that, you need to come to Jesus and receive that forgiveness and let him take up the first dwelling place, but there's so much more. I, I think that you, that's what you could say about these prayers. Paul is praying for more for people who already know Jesus and he is He's wanting to encourage us now, not by teaching, but saying, I am praying that you will know the more, that you will be filled up with all the fullness of the measure of God, that Christ will so dwell in you that he'll, he'll change you in such a way that that you will live out of the fullness of who who God is. That the life you live is the life that Jesus would have lived if he was living in, in the place you live, with the neighbors you have, with the relationships you have, with the problems and the stresses and, and uh, the foes and the difficulties and the assets and all of those things that you'd say, Lord, take up residence in me that I would begin to manage all of those dynamics, all those relationships, including my negative emotions about myself as if you had taken up residence your residence in me, and you were, my, you were my ever-present, not just surgeon of my soul, but you were my life coach continuing to speak a word, and before I take the next step, you say, this is the way, walk in it. That, that is the destiny that we can, we can have, and Paul, it dropped him to his knees. Does it drop you to your knees? <laughs> it's been won for us, and yet it's, it's, it's gifted us as we seek after that the fullness of God would reside in us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray, help us to open our heart to you fully and completely. Oh, God, make this prayer the prayer that you would fulfill in whatever remainder of our life that we have to live. Lord, let it be lived in this way. Lord, this, this virtually dwarfs every other ambition that we might have walked into this room with or been at the center of our consciousness. And so, Lord, would you, would you enable us to hold this ambition that we would have you dwell, that we would be strengthened, that we would be rooted and grounded in such a way that you would... You would be said to have done things beyond what could be asked or imagined. We pray that for ourselves in this season of church life. We pray that for your body in this area, every confessing church. We pray for your church around the world. Ambush us with your glory and your goodness and fill us with hope for this, Lord. Drive out cynicism that we can see that there are new chapters to be written. New adventures for us to say yes to. New levels of perseverance and clarity in our lives. Conversations that would be bolder because you are reigning in our life. Conversations that would be sweeter because you have sweetened us. We pray that you would do these things for your name to be the most cherished and beloved and uplifted. Lord, where your church doesn't live this way, your name is disregarded and even blasphemed at times. Lord, would your name be cherished because of how we respond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Would you stand with us in worship? Most worthy, worthy of praise, exalted above all things, my God, you are my God. Your splendor and majesty, your wonder. Feels everything, my God. You are.
0: you to continue that conversation with God and and not leave here until you've had even a commitment to have that conversation. Lord, what would it look like for you to fill me abundantly? For me to turn my life over to you? And I invite our prayers if they want to come forward. We offer prayer for you as you leave about a response to this sermon or a situation in your life. We don't want anybody to come into this building and not feel that that has been lifted up, that the government is on our God's shoulders. So uh, again, we have prayers who will be here at the front. I also want to say, if you want to just kneel quietly, if you've got that kneeling bench over there, and you can just kneel before God and seek him. But I want to pronounce this powerful benediction and blessing upon you. God, make it so. And lift up your hearts and receive this. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask, or think or imagine to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.
2: Amen. Holy is the Lord Holy is the Lord Almighty Seated on the throne Seated on the throne of glory
3: The stars for a sign of hope looking for the light that can lead me home but do i even know myself do i even know myself i'm trying now to pick up the pieces again just to find them all fall further in and do i even trust myself do i even trust Oh, Lord, will you save my mind? Lord, will you make it right? Cause I feel like I'm maybe blind Don't know if it's a day or a night Oh, will you save my mind? Oh, will you make it right? Cause I feel like I'm lost this time Don't know if it's a day or Oh, I've been the for to take it on alone. You know that I could use some help. You know that I could use some help. I just wanna feel that fire again. I just want some help.